How many of you um, remember the book, The Little Engine That Could? Remember that? Yeah, The Little Engine Could, you know, was is kind of a cute little story about a little steam engine that had a huge task in front of him because he had to make carry this huge load up this hill, and he knew that he couldn't do it alone. So he went to several other larger steam engines and asked them for their help, and they had all these excuses not to be able to help him. Well, finally, he found another little steam engine to work with him that they would pull this huge load up this hill together. And while they were going up the hill, you remember the old saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Well, those two little steam engines got to the top of the hill and they said, I thought we could, I thought we could, I thought we could. This morning, we're going to look at the church of Philadelphia. The church of Philadelphia was, I would call, the little church that could. It had an uphill battle to climb. It was a little church with a little strength. And yet, it was the one church that the Lord looked at and said, you know what? You have my complete blessing. And so we're going to look at some of those characteristics of the little church that could. And also, I want you to look at your own life because you might be the little person that could. Okay? We're going to get to that in just a minute. Let me give you a little trivia behind this. In Philadelphia... There was, uh, it started by the king of Pergamum, actually. His, his name was Emmaus, and he had a brother, and his brother and he were extremely, extremely close. And so he named the city of Philadelphia after his brother, Philadelphus. And consequently, that's why we get the city of brotherly love. So it's just kind of an interesting, uh, trivial thing, but I also think that it all maybe be symbolically represent the, the church at Philadelphia too, that they stuck together and there was a lot of loyalty and commitment to one another as brotherly love. So let's read the passage. It's Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. I'm going to ask you to stand like we've been doing the last several weeks. I think it's really a, a way to honor the Lord. So I'm going to read through this and you follow along with me. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have a little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come in the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. And let's read that together. Whoever has an ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You may be seated. Father, I thank you for this opportunity this morning and remind it to us that he who has ears, let him hear. And God, I want so bad for us to hear from your Holy Spirit this morning. I want so bad to hear how powerful and how wonderful you are. And we just thank you for this church now as we dive into it together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What made Philadelphia different than the other churches? Well, they knew whose church it was. 
They absolutely understood that. They understood whose church it was. Scott talked about that last week. How important it is to recognize that this is not your church. This is not my church. Whose church is it? It's his church. And if we forget that, sometimes he turns the lights out. A few weeks ago, I was going to urgent care, actually on a Sunday morning. And I needed to get in to see a doc. And and, uh, I went there and my wife and I pulled up on the parking lot. And the lights were on at urgent care, but the door was locked. I'm thinking... What's this? How do you call that urgent care? You know? And yet the church is all about urgent care. And I've consulted, you know, for nine years. Some of you know that. And churches all over the West Coast. And there were some churches, frankly, I would go to. And I would say, you know what? The lights are on, but the doors are locked. Because somebody in that church had forgotten whose church it was. But, you know, I want to take this down to a personal level this morning with you this morning. Because I believe we need to realize that Not only is the church body not ours, my body isn't mine. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, and the Holy Spirit came in to dwell your life, and Scripture says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize this morning that you look at your body this morning, and you say, it's not mine. And for some of you, that might be a relief when you look in the mirror. (laughs) But your body is not yours. You've been bought with a price. Pastor Josh just talked about it a little bit ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. It says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. The price? The blood of Jesus Christ, right? Do you not know? Um, therefore, honor God with your bodies. So scripture is very clear here that our bodies are not our own. So what we put in our bodies is important. What comes out of our bodies are important. And for many of us, we forget that and we destroy our bodies literally by whatever we bring into it, whether it's pornography, whether it's the wrong kind of food, whether it's whatever it might be, a lack of exercise, whatever God's prompting us to do, you see, because Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, who? Not I, but Christ who what? Lives in me. So let's remember this this morning, that not only is the church not ours, but we're not ours either, if you know Jesus this morning. But secondly, I noticed about this church that made them the little church that could, is that they had, uh, they were a church of a little strength, and and, uh, a lot of scholars believe that this church with a little strength meant that the church was rather small, and consequently they didn't have a, a myriad of giftedness to be able to really make a huge impact, and I'm not so sure that's maybe the correct Uh, translation of that. But on the other hand, what I see here is that whatever this church was, it had a little strength. And I think that what it means is, is that this church, there was evidence there that the Holy Spirit was active, alive, and well. I know for many, many years, as I uh, traveled around again, well, it's been many years, for nine or ten years, I would really be try to be an encouragement to pastors who were pastors of smaller churches. And they would feel bad because they were constantly comparing themselves, obviously, to the megachurch down the street and so on and so forth. And I would sit down with them and I'd try to encourage them and say, wait a minute, time out. I said, you are really down on yourselves, but let's talk about it for a minute. Uh, somebody accepted Christ in your church this year? Well, yeah, there was this person. I said, anybody else? Oh, that person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I said, has there been any other transformations in your church in terms of marriages or life? And yeah. And I said, what are you complaining about? You're a little church, 
but with a little strength. And the power of the Holy Spirit was at work in that church. And sometimes we forget that. So here was a church that knew the power of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 8, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Yet what? You have kept my word and have not denied my name. He says, I'm proud of you guys. The Holy Spirit is evident and at work in your church. And that's a wonderful thing. Is the Holy Spirit evident and at work in your life this morning? You say, well, you know, I know what the fruits of the Spirit bring. But you know what I'm convinced? I am convinced that we underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you believe that? Hey, what did the Holy Spirit do? Was he the one that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead? We have resurrection power in our bodies today, folks. And what we struggle with sometimes, we think, oh, no, you know, I don't have much to offer. I don't really have any prevalent spiritual gifts in my life. I just can't, I can't overcome the sin area in my life and say, wait a minute, time out. Do you realize who we have if we have Christ in our lives? We have the power, the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. And how many of us underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit? I know I do. When you pray, do you realize that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and he's interceding through the Father, through Jesus Christ, also our advocate? We have this incredible power inside us and yet for some reason we kind of squelch it, push it down and say, oh, not me, you know, I can't do that. I can't overcome this area of my life and say, wait a minute, time out. Who do you think the Holy Spirit is? I would love to be able to, to, see, to have the Lord say to me, say, hey, Tom, you've got a little strength. And that power is at work in your life. Is that power at work in your life? Are we making excuses and rationalizing for things that we can't overcome, that we can't do, or we put ourselves down and we say, wait a minute, we're denying really the power of the Holy Spirit who resurrected Christ from the dead. In fact, the scriptures talk about the word dunamis, which means dynamite. We've got dynamite inside us, folks. And we forget that, but this church didn't. I think this church manifested the Holy Spirit, and when you would walk into that church somehow, some way, you would sense that the Holy Spirit was present, and there was a strength that it was in this church. And I'm hoping that people that are around us that would sense the strength inside us. And where is it coming from? The Holy Spirit. Got a little wand up there. We'll keep moving. <laughs> Secondly, what made this church the little church that could is that they kept His word. I just read about it. It says, you have kept my word, and if not, did I my name? They maintain biblical integrity. Paul told Timothy to correctly handle the word of truth. And I've seen churches today, and you know where they are, where they have not handled scripture correctly. And this was a church that no matter what, they were going to stick to the word of God. They were going to preach the word of God. They realized that the word of God is a relevant book that's good and practical for life. And so they kept the word I've seen even megachurches not handling Scripture correctly, and they're a mile wide and an inch deep. And they're taking some things out of context. But here was a church that said, you know what? We believe in Scripture that it's inerrant, and it's the Word of God, and it's relevant for life. And they kept that Word no matter what. That's why this little church could. But thirdly, they endured patiently. Look at verse 9. He he said, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not. By the way, that's pretty strong words. Synagogue of Satan? Are you kidding me? 
That's what Jesus said. Who claim to be Jews, though they are not. And what, what we're saying here is that these were Jews who were trying to put pressure on this little church to conform to the old ways of the law. And so they were putting all this pressure, and Jesus refers to them as what? The synagogue of Satan. That's pretty strong language. And look what he says about them. They are not Jews who claim to be Jews, though they are not. They're what? They're liars. These people are liars. I'm wondering how many churches today that God would call a synagogue of Satan because they're not preaching the word of God and they're a bunch of liars. And he's calling them the synagogue of Satan. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you since you have kept my command to endure patiently. You see, they were struggling. They were in the midst, as you know, of the Roman Empire. People were being persecuted all the time. Christians were. And then not only that, but their own Jewish people were on their, in their face all the time trying to convince them that this Jesus was not the Messiah. And what was going on here is this church stood strong and endured patiently, didn't compromise, and God saw them and he said, hang in there, you guys, because someday these folks are going to be bowing down to you. I love that about you because you've stayed strong and you've endured patiently. You've not compromised to the culture, political, and peer pressure that's out there. Let's bring that down to a personal level. Are we enduring patiently as believers in Christ in this midst of this incredibly difficult culture now that we're living in? Can the Lord say that about us? Are we compromising? Are we rationalizing? Are we bowing down to the culture that's out there and all of those values that are being thrown at us through social media and the television? Are we bowing down to those things? Or are we enduring patiently? Are we caving in? Scripture says to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And it says, goes on to say, do not be what? Conform to this world. Don't succumb to the worldly pressure. Don't allow yourself to compromise. This church refused to do that. And that's why they were the little church that could. And God loved them for it. Fourth, this church captured a future hope. This church captured a future hope. Why do I say that? Look at verse 10. Since since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on earth. Let me stop there because I looked at that for a minute and I said, now for some of you, you know that we know that there's going to be a seven-year tribulation period and it's going to be a very, very difficult time where two-thirds of the world's population is going to be destroyed. And Jesus is speaking towards that area of tribulation, and he's saying that I'm going to keep you from that. We don't know exactly what that word keep means. Some people would uh, interpret that to say that we're not going to be involved in the tribulation at all. As Christians, we're going to be taken up in the rapture, and so therefore we won't uh, have to deal with the tribulation. Others feel like, well, we may endure maybe half of the tribulation. But what I do know something that's absolutely fact in my mind is, is that when God decides to pour out his wrath, he has always taken his people out. He did that with Lot at Sodom and Gomorrah. He did that with Noah when he decided to unleash his wrath through the flood. So what's exciting here to me is that these people in this church really knew that they had a hope 
that somehow, even in the midst of the persecution and pressure that they were under, that when the great tribulation happened, somehow they're going to be protected. And that gave them some real encouragement. And I'm wondering if that gives you encouragement this morning. And then it talks about the fact that they're going to receive a crown. Look at verse 11. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. What's this crown thing? Well, if you turn with me to 2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul describes this crown a little bit. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. This crown is a reward for all the things that we have done as a follower of Jesus Christ that brings him glory and not our own. And scripture says someday we're going to lay those crowns at the feet of Jesus. And so he's saying to these folks, listen. Right now, you may be struggling with all kinds of issues in in your life. You're undergoing all this pressure from the synagogue of Satan. You're getting pressure from the Roman Empire. There's all this stuff going on in your lives. But friend, don't forget that someday, if you endure patiently, there is a crown waiting for you. There's a reward. Are you looking forward to your crown? You know, sometimes we think about that and it sounds really, really motivating. It sounds exciting that we're going to get a crown at some point in our lives for all those things. But scripture also tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 that when we stand face to face with Jesus, there's going to be some scrutiny. There's going to be some accountability. And we're going to have to stand in front of Jesus and give an account for our life. And hopefully there's going to be a jewel or two in that crown, right? Right? But you know, sometimes we think about heaven and we just think about this future hope that we have and it's just so exciting and maybe we get really uh, amped up about it. And yet, someday, friends, we all have to stand in front of our King of Kings and Lord of Lords and give an account of our life. That's a sobering thought. You know, I can't wait to see Jesus. But on the other hand, I think about that song I can only imagine. You know? I'll even be able to speak at all. Would I dance for you, Jesus? What's it going to be like? Friends, we serve a living Jesus, right? And I'm looking forward to that day when I can stand in front of him. And I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll probably freak out. But I just hope that I can feel his embrace around my arms and say, man, it's so good to be home. But let us not forget, we have a crown And it's a reward. What's your crown going to look like? Is it going to be wood, hay, and stubble? Or gold, silver, and precious jewels? Here's the third thing that this church was able to look forward to. They were going to find a permanent spot in heaven, as well as heaven on earth in the new Jerusalem. Notice it's a permanent spot. When he refers to this, he says in verses 12 and 13, He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar always represents symbolically the strength This this idea of permanency. And he says, never again will I leave it. Will he leave it? I will write in him the name of my God and the name of the city and also write in him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. He's talking about here the new heaven and the new earth. 
And we have that so much to look forward to that. You know, um, we were challenged last week and a few weeks earlier. Why are we looking forward to heaven? Is it because we're going to be walking on streets of gold and it's going to be like paradise and there's no more crying, no more tears? Why are we looking forward to heaven? Or maybe we're not. You know, it's really interesting now that I'm over 70 years old. I know I don't look at, but um, <laughs> no, just to see. We talk about heaven a lot more. Have you noticed that? I think Pastor Scott brought that up a number of weeks or months ago where he said, you know, when you're in your 20-somethings, you don't think about heaven. You don't talk about heaven as much. But when you get to be older, you begin to say, you know, do I really look forward to heaven? Have you ever been in that situation? You know, um, I've been preaching about heaven for 50 years. And then when it comes right down to it, do I really believe it? And am I, am I really going to come face to face with Jesus? Am I really excited about it? And um, I had an opportunity to kind of deal with that about 12 years ago when I had my heart attack. And, and uh, after I had my heart attack and I had stents put in and stuff like that, and I was back on my feet a little bit, I passed out a couple times because I was overdosing on, on uh, blood pressure medicine. But it was interesting how I would just conk out in the middle of a conversation. And I'm thinking, what if I died? What would that look like? You know, frankly, it was really an interesting time in my life because I felt like, you know, hey, Garisha, you've been preaching about this for all your life. Are you afraid to die? I mean, what's up with this? Where, where are we at here? And what was really good for me is that I thought, you know what? I kind of like this idea of dying. It's not so bad. How about you? Are you afraid to die? Are you looking forward to that day when... I will take my last breath and I will look forward to spending the rest of eternity with my Jesus. Honestly. And I came out of that experience saying, you know what? I can't wait. I want to stick around for my kids, my family, and for opportunity. And I've said to the Lord a bazillion times, Lord, when you're done with me, take me home, please. If I don't have any impact anymore for, for you, I, I just, I don't want to live anymore. I'd rather be with you. You know, what's really cool, too, with the first, fourth thing that these folks had in their future was that they were going to get a new name. Pastor Josh talked about that, about that stone. I don't know if you've given some thought to that. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, it says, I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. What do you hope your secret name is going to be? I was at Dave's, Richard's dad's memorial service and uh, touched my heart. Here, Dave's dad's been a pastor all those years. And the one thing that he hoped for when he stood before Jesus was, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want faithful written on my stone. What about you? What name would you like to have him write on your stone? What do you want Jesus to think of you? We know he loves us unconditionally, but what kind of name is going to be written on your stone? Well, these folks, it's going to be fun to get a new name. I think about Abram when he became Abraham. Why? Because he was going to be a father of many great nations. 
When God changed names, it really meant something pretty powerful. I'm looking forward to that new name. I don't know what it's going to be. So these folks, it was the little church that could. And they really got it. They really had it figured out. And my question is, do we have it figured out? Are we the little person that could? Because we manifest a little strength of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to make a difference in the lives of other people. So that someday we too receive a crown. That someday we too can stand before Christ. So what are some next steps? What are some things we can think about? This whole series has all been talking about overcomers, right? And so I want to give you some thoughts today of what it means to be an overcomer based upon the church at Philadelphia. Here's the first thing. We should never forget whose church it is and whose body it is. We should never forget whose church and whose body it is. I've said enough about that. Secondly, we should be students of God's word. It is not enough for you to come here on Sunday morning and get spoon-fed like a little bird in a nest. And Pastor Scott's starting to throw those worms into into your mouth and you're eating it all up. But you know what happens in our culture today is because there is false teaching out there and because there are not discerning listeners and there are gullible followers that haven't studied the word of God themselves, they get duped and they start following somebody who is falsely teaching. And it's so critical for us to be in the word of God ourselves. So when you come to church on Sunday morning, you can weigh that. Scripture talks about being a discerning of spirits and being a discerning listener and hearing what God has to say and to make sure that you're filtering through what you know best about what you've studied in your Scripture and you can compare notes and realize that, yeah, he's right on or he's not. Maybe he's a little off. We need to be students of the Word. If you remember... But one time I preached here about turkeys. Do you all remember that? I never did live that sermon down. (laughs) But you know, I told you the story about little turkey pulse when they come as babies. And they can live off the the yolk and the white of the egg for five days. And if they don't get on full feed, they die. They have to learn how to feed themselves. And it's a critical time in the life of a little baby poult that they get on full feed. And I believe we're in a more critical time than ever before in this country that we need to be solidly grounded in the Word of God because that's where we're going to get truth. There's no fake news in Scripture. Right? It's the good news. Thirdly, We should recognize that a little power can go a long way. This is exciting to me. What is Matthew chapter 17, verse 20b and 21? He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing is impossible for you. Do you believe that? We, again, remind ourselves, we have the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
And you may say, well, it's, you know, I don't, I'm not really gifted, but wait a minute, time out. A little bit of power goes what? A long ways. This church had a little bit of power and it went a long ways in God's eyes. Fourth, we should be rejoicing in our future hope. We should be rejoicing in our future hope. I think what this church, this whole series has been about overcoming. And this church, because it was faithful and it was the little church that could, really got it when it came to their future hope. And my question is, do we get it? Do we really get it? We have so much to look forward to. And maybe right now some things in life kind of suck and our aches and pains and our bodies are falling apart and all these kinds of things, the issues that are going on in our lives. Who's going to win in the end? We are. So let me close by asking a question or two. Are you ready for heaven? Let's be honest this morning. I was talking to Pastor Dan, and he was with a group of folks not too long ago. And he was, some of you remember Pastor Dan, and he, he asked the group, he said, how many of you know, without a doubt, if you were to die tonight, that you would go to heaven? There were about 10 people in the room. None of them raised their hands. They had studied the Word of God. They thought for sure that they were believers. But when it came right down to the nitty-gritty of saying, if you were to die today, do you know that you would take your last breath here and be present with Jesus? They weren't positive. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you positive? If you're not, this morning could be the morning of your life. This morning you could enjoy a future hope. And I know that hope has to have a substance. And we put our hope in the Lord. And so I'm trusting that maybe somebody here this morning that if you don't know Jesus or you're not positive that you're going to heaven when you die, this is the opportunity of a lifetime this morning to be able to say, you know what, Lord, I need to solidify that. I need to put a stake in the ground. It's you and me, Jesus, all the way. I want to be a follower of you. And I know at the end of this road, I'm going to fight the good fight and I'm going to finish the course. And I know that there's going to be a crown of righteousness waiting for me. If you haven't done that this morning, you could do that quietly right where you're sitting. Let's bow our heads together. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.